Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. Let's turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Mm. And our junior hires can take off now with Kai. There's some people standing in the back. There's plenty of seats. Uh, there's some seats in the front, some seats over there. All these junior hires just tuck off. You can come sit right here. Don't worry about it. Just come on in. We're all family here. It's okay. Um, Mark chapter 11. What we're doing is we're taking a little bit of a break from our series on the life and times of Jesus to, um, to talk about prayer. So for the next two Sundays... We're going to be talking about prayer, and for the next five weeks, we're going to have home groups that are solely dedicated to prayer and praying. So, so the whole purpose of these home groups is we're going to discuss prayer, how it's important, different as, aspects and different facets of prayer, but then we're going to get down and pray. So the home groups are going to be all about prayer for the next five weeks. So we really want everybody engaged in those. Um, and, and we're doing this for several reasons, right? We're, we're two years old as a church now. And one of the things that we want to do is make sure, and we don't want to miss this, make sure that we stay focused on this irreplaceable gift that we have called prayer. That we stay focused on this priceless, priceless gift that God has given us in the ability to go to Him 24-7. And as a church and as individuals, we want to do and need to do kind of constant maintenance to our prayer life, don't we? I mean, it's really easy. Maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so. It's really easy and, it, and it's kind of natural to let prayer slip, isn't it? It's one of the things that we just, I mean, we all would agree if we like said, if we went around the room and said like, what's one of the most important things that you could possibly do? I, I would guess in the, in the top three of everybody's list would be prayer. But it's one of those things that's really easy to kind of let slip and largely because we have lives that are just incredibly busy, aren't they? And so one of the things we want to do is, is continue to do maintenance on prayer. And you guys hear me talk about prayer all the time, right? Because why? We don't want to miss out here. Somebody once told me before we started this church, and, and I've told you guys this before, they said the hardest thing to do is to get a church to pray. And that kind of bothered me. And then I found out that that's not exactly true. The hardest thing to get a church to do is to continue to pray. Because when the church was new and fresh two years ago, prayer meetings packed full, everybody's amp and everybody's praying. We get 24-7 up in praying. We're praying around the clock, 24 hours a day. And when it's new, but it's one of the things that we can let slip. And so what we're doing these next two weeks and what we're doing over the next five weeks with home groups is we're going to do some maintenance on prayer. And the reason that we're doing this is we've decided that we can't afford to fail here. Because if we fail here, we fail everywhere, don't we? Because what is prayer? Prayer is our connection to God. What is a church that's not connected to God? What is that? I don't even know what you call that. We need to be a people of God connected to our God. Another reason that we're putting this emphasis on prayer again at this time is we don't just want to maintain prayer. We want prayer to increase. We want the prayer life of the whole of the church to increase because of what I just said, because it is our connection to God. And so what we want as a church is an increased connection to God. I mean, that just kind of makes sense, right? 
We're a people of God. We should be wanting and desiring to be more and more connected to Him. And so what we're trying to do is we want to experience God more. We want more of His grace. We want more of His power. We want more of His guidance. We want more of His direction. We want more of His influence in our lives. And that means that we got to be better connected to Him. And that means that we got to be people of prayer. Kind of comes down real logically. Oftentimes we complicate things. Our big desire is that, that we would just be more connected. And then the third reason that we're kind of taking this time is because we want to help and facilitate that, that prayer would grow across the board, but also help some that, that may not be seriously engaged in prayer right now. For, for whatever reason, it might be that you're a very new Christian and you just don't even understand this thing we call prayer. You've never prayed out loud or, or something to that effect. And, and we want to help that increase in your life. We, we want to get more prayer going. Maybe you've been a Christian for a really long time, but you do, as all of us have, kind of let that slip back a little bit. And so we want to encourage those that right now would probably go, you know what, I'm not seriously engaged in prayer. We want to encourage during these five weeks of home groups and these two weeks over the next two Sundays to get there, to get seriously engaged in prayer. Now, we spent the last two weeks talking about being on mission, right, as a church, actually kind of like the last three weeks, uh, of being a church on mission and the importance of that, that we would be a people we are called to be on mission with Christ in this world. But one of the things that you can't separate from mission is prayer because prayer is the power behind the mission. Prayer is the difference in us being a church that's just doing churchy kind of stuff and looking the part and being a church that is doing what God has called us to do and being tapped into his power. Does that make sense? I mean, prayer is the difference in that. Prayer's the difference in us just doing stuff, just looking the part, doing churchy kind of things, or actually being tapped into the guidance, direction, and power of the Lord. We could carry a big fat Bible around and we could talk all the lingo and we could call each other brethren and sistren and, and we can set up all the gear and we can call it a church and we can send out a bulletin. We can do all the churchy kind of stuff. We can really look the part. But if there's no connection to God, then, then what is it all worth? I mean, if you didn't come here to get built up and meet with and connect with God, then why are you here? I mean, that's why we're here, right? That's why we read the word. That's why we're we want to be connected to our God. I mean, like I said, what the heck is a church that's not connected to God? What is that? I don't even know what you would think that. But, but we have to and we want to be as a church people that are called and gifted and anointed and empowered and guided by God. And so that means that we don't want to just be doing stuff. We want to be doing God's stuff. Therefore, we need to be connected to God. Ultimately, it boils down to this. We don't want to just be playing church over here. So we could just be playing church and not really be connected to God. We don't want that. We want to be the church that Jesus intended us to be. How many times have you guys heard me say that? Maybe a thousand? I mean, we do. We want to be the church that Jesus intended us to be. We want to go where the Lord is sending us. We want to be 
what we talked about last week, an extension of the life and ministry of Jesus as ambassadors of Christ. But to do all of that, we got to be seriously and dynamically and regularly connected to God. You can't do all of that stuff that we claim to want to be if we're not seriously, dynamically, and regularly connected with God. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power, the, the most important words in this thing, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. The key to that is his divine power. We got to be tapped into him. Charles Spurgeon once said, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. We don't want to be that. We want God near our church. We want him all up in here. We want him running every aspect of it. And so Jesus drives this home, this importance of prayer home for us in the life of God's people in one of the most dramatic scenes and powerful statements as we look at this text in Mark chapter 11, where he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So look with me at Mark chapter 11, verse 15, if you would. Mark eleven fifteen. And it says, they came to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, and they entered the temple, and he, Jesus, began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry any merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach them, saying, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. That's a heavy little scene right there. It's just this wild picture of Jesus. And, and what's crazy about it, it happens twice. It happens once at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He goes into the temple, does the same thing. In fact, at that time, Jesus literally makes a whip of cords and drives out the, the animals and the people that are like buying and selling in the temple. That's kind of wild to think of. I mean, we usually like, I mean, can you like picture that for a second? Jesus, like this picture that we have of Jesus. And then he goes up onto the temple mount. I can picture because I've been there and we're going to go there and stand on those very pavements where Jesus did this. And he just walks in and he's just like livid with what he sees and he throws the tables over. He kicks over the benches. Money goes flying everywhere. You know, there's these stone pavers there and, and you can just imagine the coins just going bouncing out across these pavers and making that sound and the animals taking off and, the, you know, somebody's goats like flying across the place and doves and pigeons going everywhere. And, and just this scene where Jesus is just livid what's going on within the temple compound. And we usually have, don't we, this like picture in our mind of gentle Jesus. Like that's the one we like to think about is this gentle, really calm and collected, never rattled Jesus. That's, that's kind of what I usually picture, like just walking around, like whenever he's portrayed in like medieval art, right? It's always this really kind of sedated look on his face and he's got, always got the two fingers up and the big halo around his head. And he's glowing. And, you know, we kind of picture Jesus as this kind of like 
I mean, he was a real man, and he had, you know, real stuff going on. He just walks in and wrecks this place, and we don't usually think of him that way. We usually have this picture of calm, gentle, compassionate, very patient Jesus. And that's, that's right, and it's real, and that's accurate, because we see that throughout the whole of the Gospels, don't we? I mean, Jesus healed the sick and the lame, he reached out to the, the downtrodden and the marginalized. Jesus went to them. He touched lepers. Man, nobody touched lepers. Jesus walked up and touched lepers. He touched the man whose eyes were blind and he saw, you know, I mean, he forgave this woman caught in adultery. He went to the tomb of Lazarus with the sisters and the friends of Lazarus and he himself wept with them. I mean, He's asleep in the boat in the middle of a storm. We've got this picture of Jesus all throughout the gospel, this kind of portrait of gentle, never rattled, always calm, always composed Jesus, except for right here. Where else do you see him get rattled like this? Anywhere in the whole of of the gospels. And this wasn't sin. This was righteous anger. And here's the point for us. We do have an extremely merciful, gentle, compassionate, patient Jesus. We have that. We know that. Yet what drove him to this scene in the temple on that day, Jesus' greatest display of anger came at what? Prayerlessness in his house and when something else had been put in the place of prayer. That should just, at some level, just grab us and kind of just shake us to our core. The, The thing that upset Jesus more than anything else was when something else had been put in the place where prayer was supposed to be. And it might be a little uncomfortable for us to picture Jesus doing this and turning over these tables and driving these guys out with a whip of cords. And it is for me because I want to reflect, at least when it comes to Jesus dealing with me, I want to reflect on the merciful Jesus. I want the patient Jesus. I want the composed Jesus. Sometimes for you guys, I want the the other Jesus. But no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But when it comes to me, and, and we do this, don't we? When, when Jesus deals with us, we want to think about merciful Jesus. But Jesus is righteous, and he's holy, and we can't forget that. And the thing that I hope, if we, if we miss everything else today, the thing that grabs us as a church is the thing that set Jesus off more than anything else ever was when people had replaced prayer with something else. With with the busyness of their life, the business had come in and it moved prayer out. This was to be a a house of prayer for all the nations. And this, and this is what I want to say, this is what set Jesus off more than anything else. Don't forget this about Jesus. They took Jesus, arrested him, and beat him beyond recognition. When Pilate brought him up and presented him before the people, he said, this is the man. He had to point out that this is the guy because they couldn't recognize him. They took Jesus and hung him on a cross, drove spikes through his hands and his feet, and he didn't go off on them. In fact, what did he do? He prayed for them. 
Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. But what set Jesus off was when the people of God had replaced prayer. And there was prayerlessness in his house. That's how much the Lord cares about us in our prayer life. And it's not prayer like this heavy thing that we should have to do because it's a guilt thing. Man, it's because we've got this God that is absolutely nuts about us. And he wants to be with us. And he wants to spend time with us. We've been talking about that for like three weeks now. That the, the mission that we're called to and the prayer life we're called to isn't because God's got some heavy guilt trip and he's trying to like force us to do stuff for him as if he couldn't do it. Man, he can do it way better than we can do it. But it's because he loves us and he wants to be with us. That temple compound was this place that was really special because it was a place where people were coming to meet with their God. Yet the people had placed distractions there. What defines the people of God is their connection to God, right? I mean, what defines the people of God is the fact that they're actually connected to God. What are the people of God that aren't connected to God? It's just this kind of vain religion, isn't it? It's just going through the motions when we're not connected to him. Man, God is not impressed with us just doing a bunch of stuff if we're not truly connected to him for relationship. That's what he wants. That's not impressed with us just showing up at a, in a building on a Sunday morning, singing a few songs and sitting through something. If we're not truly connected to him, I mean, think about the religious leaders of Jesus' day the scribes and the Pharisees. Those guys did all kind of religious stuff. They had all the gear. They had this whole temple. They did all the religious stuff. They went through all the motions. They kept these billions of laws. But the problem was that their heart wasn't connected to God's heart. And Jesus came down on them more than anybody for that very thing because there wasn't a true intimate relationship between them and their God. What are a people of God if we're not connected to God? And so for myself, as I'm studying for this, and I think it's a question that all of us could ask is, what are those things that compete most? What, what is, are we given the most time and attention to that distracts us from prayer? Because what God really wants more than anything for every single one of us is relationship. More than all the stuff that we do, what he wants most and above all is relationship. Because everything else will come from that. We're connected to him. He's going to send us on mission. He's going to put us in ministries. He's going to use us to reach people. That's going to happen, but it's, it's kind of like the outflowing of, of that relationship. Otherwise, what is it? We have to have that real dynamic prayer life, that time spent with him. Paul writing to Timothy, who was the young leader of the church in Ephesus at the time, he said this in, in 1 Timothy 2, 1. He said, first of all, very important the way that's worded. First of all, then I urge you with entreat, 
entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. And when you take that little chunk, that first of all in the Greek, it means first of all, before all else, first in importance, the most important thing your primary concern should be. That's what it means, prayer. He said, before everything else, I want the people of God in Ephesus under your your leadership, Timothy, to be a people of prayer. That's number one in everything. And we see this played out in the life of Jesus, and we see this in the early church. And we have to wonder, man, if Jesus prayed like that, and the early church prayed like that, shouldn't the church today still pray like that? I mean, we see this. One of the standout features of the early church was their commitment to being a praying church. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had already died, been resurrected, and was about to ascend into heaven. And so he tells his disciples there in Acts chapter 1 to stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere, you got to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't even try ministry without God. That's what he's telling them. You wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. He then takes them out to the Mount of Olives and he ascends into heaven and they're standing there watching him ascend into heaven. But the very next thing they do is what? They go have a prayer meeting. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. And they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered the city, they went into the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, and it goes through all of, of the apostles. And then it says, and, those with, and, th- and these, sorry, all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, so picture this. You're talking about moments after Jesus ascends into heaven. This is their go-to move. I mean, they walk out to the Mount of Olives with Jesus and he ascends into heaven. Can you imagine what these guys must have felt at that time? Because like they had been with him this whole time. Everything had, had kind of been him doing it and they'd been sent out on a few little mission trips, but, but they knew where to come back to. He was a power. And now they're watching Jesus, right? Ascending into heaven and they go, I would, I don't know what they said, but I would be like, holy cow, what do we do now? It's like, prayer meeting time, the very next thing, their go-to move in the early church was to pray. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the church was birthed out of a group of people who were continually devoting themselves to prayer. We need to see that. The church was birthed out of a people who were continually devoted to the prayer meeting. And it's worthy to point out, worthy to make note of, if you've ever studied church history, that every great revival, name one that hasn't, every great revival can be traced back to a group of people who were continually devoted to prayer. From the day of Pentecost on, every single great revival has been traced back to a group of people sometimes praying for years. And sometimes people will ask me, well, why is a prayer meeting so important? Like, isn't it cool? I'm like, I can just pray when I'm driving down the road. Good, that's, that's all I really need to do. No, this is why. Because every single great revival from Pentecost forward was birthed out of a prayer meeting. 
And we want revival on the North Shore, amen? Don't we want to see people get saved by the thousands? Don't we want to see every church on this North Shore busting at the seams and planting new ones? Every time that happened. See, it's one thing to say we want that. But every time that happened, it was because a group of people got together and they prayed. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they get arrested. They had been walking into the temple and there was a crippled man. They healed this crippled man. This guy jumps up and starts leaping throughout the temple compound. And of course, that drew a lot of attention. Thousands of people come around and Peter preaches the gospel and many, many get saved. But as a result of this, the religious leaders come and have Peter and John arrested. They haul them off and they make them stand before the Sanhedrin, before the elders and before the chief priests. And they warn them and they tell them, hey, you guys got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But what happened when, when they released Peter and John, they said, uh, before they left, they said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking about all that we have seen and heard. But then this is the important part. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God, a prayer meeting. They lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then it says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word with boldness. Church, this is what we need. We need house-shaking prayer meetings. You want to see people start getting saved left and right on this North Shore? We need house-shaking prayer meetings. That's what we need. That's what we need to be committed to as a church. In Acts chapter 12, we find Peter back in jail. And it says that they kept him in jail, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Their go-to for anything was prayer. In Acts chapter 13, In the middle of a prayer meeting, God calls Paul and Barnabas out onto the mission field. It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for us Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them around. So be it revival, be it strength and boldness to preach God's word, be it for direction for the church and us being sent out, The church was birthed in, founded on, found its strength in, and found its direction for mission from the prayer meeting. The early church prayed. They got it. They understood what it meant when Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But no doubt that these guys were continually devoted to prayer because they had seen it in the life of Jesus. I mean, that's where they learn. When you watch what happens in the book of Acts, what do they do? They just go do what Jesus was doing. They'd seen it in his life. It says in Luke chapter 6 that it was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In Luke chapter 5, it says, but Jesus himself would often 
slip away into the wilderness to pray. In Mark chapter 1, it says, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And scripture testifies that often early, late, and sometimes all night, Jesus prayed. And the disciples saw this and they picked up on it and they made the connection between the power that Jesus had for mission and ministry and his prayer life. We need to make that same connection. And they, in Luke chapter 11, it says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw it. And they come to Jesus in his time of prayer. And they say, listen, man, we're making a connection here. Teach us to pray like you pray. And I think it's profound that nowhere in the whole of Scripture do the disciples ever ask Jesus to teach them to do a single thing except to pray. And I believe that's significant. I believe it's because they put two and two together and they realized that everything else flowed from that. Everything else flowed from and was dependent upon the fact that Jesus was dynamically, regularly connected to the Father in prayer. And so after watching Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. And so what we can see throughout Jesus' life, throughout the early church, throughout every great revival in history, is that the mission of Christ has always been soaked in and inseparable from prayer. We need this. We need the power and the grace and the direction that can only come from Jesus. Church, there are more books being written right now on marriage than have ever been written in history. Yet there are more marriages failing even within the church right now than ever. There are more books right now out on raising children than you've ever seen. Yet there are more young people struggling with their faith and walking away from the Lord. The American church has more books, more tools, more resources, more conferences, more iPhone apps, more curriculums, more teaching than it's ever had in history, yet less power. People will ask me sometimes, why don't we see now the miracles and the deliverance and the power of Jesus like they saw in the book of Acts. And I believe it's because they prayed till the house shook. It's just no simpler than that. They prayed till the house shook and they left there filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. Books are okay. I got a whole stack of them. And they can be helpful to an extent. But what we need right now is not more books on marriage, more books on raising children, more books on substance abuse. We don't need more books on emotional issues. We don't need more books on the 10,000 other topics that you can find Christian books on. What we need right now is more God. We need more of Him in our lives. We need more grace and we need more power. And that comes from being connected to Him. We need to listen 
to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, go boldly to the throne of grace. And that's what we need as a church. We need to stop trying to fix things practically that can only be fixed spiritually. We need to stop striving in our own strength and realize that we are desperate for God and that we need to desperately be connected to Him. We need to stop worrying about and battling against and striving against things in our own strength that God can take hold of and fix in a moment of time. We've got promises throughout the whole of the Bible that if we will call on God, He will show up. And we need to be those people. And I'm hoping you guys get charged up for this round of home groups, and that's what we would be, a people that are coming and crying out to our God and saying, we want to see everything that you want to see, God. We want every ounce of power that you're willing to give. We want to see every single soul saved that you're willing to save. We want to be changed from the inside out so that we're usable by you. It says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15, it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. We need to claim those promises and be a people connected to God. That's what this whole thing is about. That's the whole point of these home groups and the whole point of talking about this this morning is it would be a people more engaged, more connected to our God. It's not just to get people to a prayer meeting. That, that doesn't help anything, just getting people to show up. It's to get us engaged and calling out and crying out to our Lord that he might change things. There's a quote, I'm gonna finish with this, by Jim Cimbala from a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, one of my favorite books of all time. And he says this, he says, If we call upon the Lord, he has promised in his word to answer and to bring the unsaved to himself and to pour out his spirit among us. If we don't call upon the Lord, he has promised nothing, nothing at all. It's as simple as that. No matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend on our times in prayer. And I believe that. I believe that the reason that the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him only one thing, teach us to pray, was because they knew everything else came from there. That if we become a true people of prayer, everything else will flow from there. Amen? Lord, we want that. Lord, we come before you now and, and, and myself, Lord, I repent of the times that I have been slothful in prayer, that I've put other things in the place of prayer. I repent, Lord, for the times where I haven't remembered that your house is to be a house of prayer first and foremost. Lord, what we're asking for is more of you. We want to experience you more. We want more of your grace, more of your power. Lord, we want to see more people saved. Lord, we just want more of you. And we know that you're there, ready, waiting, willing to answer us, to meet with us but we need to show up. So Lord, I pray that right now you would cultivate within 
the whole of the mission, the spirit of prayer, just that every one of our hearts would long for you. I pray that you would wake all of us early tomorrow morning to pray with you. I pray that you would give us the strength tomorrow night that once everybody's kind of gone to bed and the kids are asleep, we would spend time praying with you. Lord, I pray that you would put just times of of prayer on our hearts, maybe with our families, with our wives, with our spouses, with our kids. Lord, we want prayer to increase because we want to be more connected to you. Lord, above everything else, we do not want to be just playing church. We want to be with you. We want you to come. And so as a church, we declare our absolute dependence upon you now. We are desperate for you, whether we realize it or not, Lord, we are truly desperate for you. Lord, come and fill this place with your presence. Lord, we're going to worship you now. And in that time, Lord, I pray that you would work on our hearts, that you would speak to us about our prayerlessness. Yet at the same time, there would be this heart of joy and worship because we've got a God sitting on the ready 24-7 to hear our prayers and to answer them. Lord, we praise you for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.